Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. Okay, so as you guys can see, we're going to take communion at some point. And typically it'll be at the end after I talk about it. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the significance of the bread that you see here, the crackers, the unleavened crackers that have no fluff to them. They are just crackery. And we'll talk about why that's crackery and not fluffy bread. Um, it doesn't have to be, but it's, it's a significance behind it. And why there is a cup of grape juice sitting there and what that cup symbolizes and what it's all about. So... Um, We'll take communion at the end, and but hopefully you'll have a deeper understanding of it. So we're going to talk about failure and success today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we are we're finally in Mark chapter 14. I know it's been a really, really long time. I don't know how many months, maybe a year, I don't know, that we've been going through Mark. And it's been fun journeying through it. And we're calling this series, Walk With Me. We're walking with Jesus and walking through as he engages the community that he's walking through, um, the people that he engages, the leaders of that community, the religious leaders, and how they mess it up a lot of times, um, how they got the message wrong. Um, and so we just, we're going to learn from what he says and what he teaches and what he um what he does with his disciples, how he begins to teach them. And um, today we've got a pretty heavy example of failure, all right? So um, I know that failure is one of those things that we look at as a, um, maybe something that, obviously it's not good, but we look at it as something we want to avoid as much as possible. But many of us know that the ways that we've learned sometimes has been through failure, right? Like, until you've failed, until you've tripped up a few times and messed up, I'm like, oh, okay, this is what I need to do. And you've, I don't know, stubbed your toe, hit your finger, cut your hand, whatever. Um, I know I learned how to use a pocket knife because I cut myself a few times, right? And I learned how to fail and move on, learn, and become better at using it. And so um, there's a process, but there's a goal that we become successful. And in our culture right now, I believe that we elevate success a little too much sometimes. That people should just arrive at success. That like you should just graduate from college and straight to the top and climb that ladder and you'll get there. And everybody's told you can be an entrepreneur and everybody's told you can make it to the top. Right? We live in America, and then you don't, or you don't achieve all the things that you thought you should, and you're not at the success uh, dream that you think you should be at. And then we go, what's up with that? But we're gonna talk about failure and success a little bit today, and hopefully through. The way that Jesus interacts with disciples, and especially Peter, we can learn about failure and success and what it can speak into our lives and how we begin to apply these things, okay? So um, let's read this. Uh, we're going to read Mark chapter 14. We're going to go 17 to 31. But there's a couple verses before that that I skipped because a lot to read, and I don't want to just bombard you with tons of scripture, okay? But I'll give you the assignment of just read on your own during the week. It's a beautiful passage. Um, but the very beginning, what we see where we left off last Sunday is Judas betrays Jesus. Judas goes and we talked about this. He was the guy who was in charge of money for the disciples as they journeyed around with Jesus. He was the guy with the money bags. And we learned last week that he was dipping into the money bag, like just taking a little bit for himself here and there, stealing from it. And then we find out that Judas now has sold out Jesus to the religious leaders for what we find out is 30 shekels. 
Okay, so I don't know, you, I don't know the exact uh, amount that is, but say 30 bucks. He sells Jesus out and tells them where he's at because they want to arrest him. And so Judas, who's sitting here, we're going to read, sitting with Jesus in this Passover meal, um, had already failed Jesus, had already sold him out and said, here, I'll, I'll take 30 bucks to you know, show you where he's at. And then Jesus says, we're going to have the Passover meal. So he sits with the disciples, and I shared about Passover last week. If you want to go back and listen to that, um, I don't have a ton of time to go through it. But basically, it was, a, if summed up, it was a celebration that they had that represented freedom. God's freedom setting them, the Jewish people free from uh, slavery in Egypt. And so Jesus, in the culture in that time, was still falling in to that, the religious celebrations that were happening but he's giving new meaning to it. And so what he does, he's like, hey, disciples, there's going to be this room. It's already prepared. Um, we're going to go and have a meal in there. Just go and get ready. And we're going to all meet in this place. And we're going to have this Passover meal that uh, everybody in the culture, in that Jewish culture, would have celebrated as like, this is God, the God who sets us free, who does amazing things in our lives. We're going to remind ourselves through this meal. And if you go through like the Passover Seder, there's all these different things. Um, there's all these elements to this meal that they would have had during that time that would remind them of the freedom that God's given them. These are only two elements of it. We're going to talk about that, okay? Two elements of like nine elements that exist, okay? Um, so here's where we pick up. It'll be on the screen, verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful. So that's a key thing if you want to underline, highlight, or just like make, take a mental note. They were sorrowful. They were like, uh-oh. And to say to him one after one another, is it me? Like, is it I? Who is it? And like, they're starting to like reflect, like, oh. What did I do? You know, like, am I the one that missed the mark here? Um, is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man uh, had not been born. It goes on, says in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he'd give it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the wine until that day when I drink it anew with the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Sorry. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the, shep and the sheep will be scattered. Talking about the disciples that are going to scatter at that time. Sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Okay, there's another underline. He's like, I'm not going to do it. Never. Like, why would you say this? I would never do such a thing. You all kind of know where it's going, right? Um, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, 
this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. We know the story. Some of you know the story. He ends up denying, right? And so we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but first, uh, I got to set the stage for this little situation that you've probably been aware of. So last night, um, this uh, beautiful news jumped into my, uh, <laughs> my feed. Um, I'm not a huge baseball fan. I'm not a huge sports fan. I don't track any sports. Let me just preface this with that. Um, but last night, apparently the Padres beat the Dodgers, right? Some of you are really excited about that. Some of you are really disappointed. And some of you could care less, right? So, um, but I found this really interesting. So know that I'm on neither side and I'm not gonna make enemies this morning, but I will say this. These people were caught looking at Padres gear with Dodgers gear on. <laughs> Just track with me here. This guy's sitting here looking at the price tag. Like, maybe I should get one. Like, maybe it's my time, you know? Like, maybe we're done with the Dodgers and we move on. And this guy's clearly got the Dodgers shirt on, the jersey, and putting on a Padres hat. And then this lady's been sitting here and she has a Padres hat on with a Dodgers hat ready to go. And I think there's a photo of her switching it out. All right. So the phrase, I'm with you till the end, may not sit well with some people, right? Um, maybe at some point we switch our mind and we're like, ah, which one's the winning team? I'm going to go ahead and join that team, right? Um, so again, I'm not, I'm not picking sides, I could kill less, but I just thought it was interesting to look at this and begin to think about how we pick a team. Which side do we pick and why do we pick that team? And we see Peter here. We're going to use Peter's life as kind of like a backdrop to what are we doing as we decide our faith, as we decide who we're going to follow, which team we're going to be a part of. We clearly see that Peter is, he has the jersey. He's got the hat. He's got everything. Like he probably has a room full of posters that are like, I'm all for Jesus, right? And I know it's cheesy and I shouldn't say that, but it's like he's all in. And what we see here is that he's like, whatever you do, Jesus, I'm there to the point of death. Like I'm all in. And Jesus is like, no, you're going to betray me. And the rooster's going to crow three times and, and it's not going to be good, right? And he's like, no, 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 I promise. I'm all in with you. I'm all about this. And what we see here, in order to understand the betrayal that Peter has done and the reaction that Jesus has, we have to understand communion. We have to understand the meal that they're having in that upper room together, right? So for Peter to say, I'm all in, he'd been journeying with them for three years, like fully committed to what Jesus is doing verbally. Um, but then inside, knowing that there's something that he's not fully committing to, had to have been troubling. There had to have been something there. And I think it's interesting that the other disciples there, that as Jesus calls them out and says, one of you is going to betray me. One of you has already done something this week that basically you just turned your back on me and you denied me. Um, and that the fact that they're all going, is it me? Had to have been a moment of reflection of like, what did I do? Let me retrace my week. This, was I looking at Padre's gear and 
did I turn my back on them already? You know, like, where they, they had to have had that moment of kind of like self-reflection to go, am I committed to what Jesus is doing? Like, maybe I did something wrong, or maybe I'm not fully into this. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I don't fully understand the commitment that I'm making here. But they were making a reflection. They were making an assessment about their faith and what they were doing. And what Jesus does is he breaks the bread, says a blessing. And to talk about the bread, I have to give you guys just, again, a little bit of an understanding. That as God was setting the Jewish people free, the Israelites free from slavery, they had to move really quickly. And what part of this Passover meal is they had to move so quickly that the bread wasn't able to rise. They weren't able to put yeast in it. So that's why a lot of times when you take communion, it's like a cracker because it's meant to be unleavened bread. And it's a reminder that they had to flee really quickly from Egypt. And it was a time that God just said, this is your time. You got to go. So the bread not going to be able to rise. The bread that you're taking with you isn't going to be rising. It's going to be this flat very basic, unleavened bread. And so it has symbolism that I put in the notes if you want to read. I don't have time to fully unpack. But if you want to read that, there's really beautiful symbolism that happens there. Um, but in this Passover meal, it's a reminder of the fact that what God is doing is through this bread, by you taking this bread and eating it, you're reminding yourself of Jesus' body being broken and, and basically... Um, defeating sin on your behalf, right? So when you take that, you're going, okay, I'm connecting with what Jesus is doing. And then the second part of that, well, let me go to the first part, because in John, when you read John uh, chapter 6, uh, it talks about the significance of the bread and gives a little more meaning, a little more depth to it, because what he's doing is he's taking a truth that God had given the, his people uh, for centuries prior to that and bringing fresh new life to it and saying, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm going to fulfill this thing that you've been practicing every year and give it deeper meaning now and begin to see how God is in the midst of it. And here's what it says. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. Because you remember like another story that I'm just going to allude to really quickly, but God provided manna from heaven, provided their sustenance, provided life for them. Um, it says, provided from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He says, he who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. So he uses water as well as an illustration of like when we begin to surrender our lives to Christ, the freedom that we begin to discover in there brings new life. It's the bread of life. It's sustenance, okay? And so there's a lot of symbolism woven into the bread, and there's also symbolism woven into the cup. So the cup was part of a four-cup process that they would drink during Passover. And I'll throw the cups up here. So the first cup was the cup of sanctification. And it's a reminder that God is continually sanctifying his people. He's making them anew. And the second cup in this meal that they would have uh, was a cup of judgment. Just reminding them, like, that's why we have a time of reflection that Matt leads us through, where you like, begin to go, okay, so what, is, what are the areas of my life where I need to begin to reassess and begin to see what are the things that don't please God? What are the things that God just wants to remove from my life because it's damaging to me? Um, and then there's a cup of redemption saying, I'm redeeming you back. I'm making you my people. That's what that cup is. And there's a fourth cup, the cup of praise, okay? So naturally, you know what that means. The praise of what God has done, what he's doing, and the reminder that he sets us free, okay? So that's the Passover thing. 
What Jesus is taking when he gives it to his disciples is this cup of redemption. And he says, I want you to drink the cup of redemption as a reminder of what I'm doing to redeem you back to me. To redeem relationship. Right? Because he gives us this freedom to say, you can do whatever you want with your life. You can make decisions to th- do whatever you think ultimately brings you freedom. He says, but I want to bring you true freedom. I want to bring this life to the full. And this is where the cup of redemption comes in. I want to redeem you. I want to bring you back into this beautiful relationship um, where there's wholeness, where it's back to where it was created to be. So that's the bread, that's the cup that he's having with his disciples as two of them fully deny him, fully um, turn their backs on Jesus in the time of most need. Why is that significant? Because Jesus still had this meal with them. Jesus knew what Peter was going to do and still said, cup of redemption, bread of life. Still sat there. He wasn't like, I know what you're going to do. Leave the room. You're out of here. Right? He still sat with them. He knew what they were going to do. He saw what was going down. And he still sat with them and had this meal. And what I see in this meal and what I see in what Jesus is doing with the disciples, even though they deny him, even though they mess it up at times, is this fact that he not only gives a verbal commitment of his love for them, but a visual commitment. Because he commanded the disciples to do this, to take the bread and drink the cup forever. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Because I want you to be reminded that I'm redeeming you. I want you to be reminded that I'm the bread of life. I want you to be reminded that I want to bring freedom to your life over and over. Because you're probably going to mess up. You're probably going to fail. You're probably going to trip up at some point. But here's what you do when you take bread and you dip it in the cup and you take it. You're reminded that whatever failure you've done, whatever trip up you've had, whatever distraction you've been a part of, whatever thing that was like pulling you away from true freedom, it washed away. And then he's going, I'm inviting you back into this. It does not matter. Whatever the past has been, whatever decision you made, he's like, I'm inviting you back into this over and over, right? And the people, the Jewish people would have been familiar with this because they would do this every year as a reminder of their freedom. And now what he's doing, he's saying, take it all the time. Whenever you get together, I want you to take communion. Like I've told you guys before, John Wesley talks about, he's a theologian. Um, he talks about how he would take, or a pastor as well, just to give more context, he would take communion every single day because he's like, I want that reminder of that redemption, that freedom that Jesus invites me into continually because I forget real quick, right? I forget real quick and I start to like default back to the things that I think are important, the worldly ways. And so, oh man, I just, I love this, this visual, this reminder. And, and I hope that my prayer is that we would all fall in love with what God is doing through bread and grape juice. doesn't matter if it's wine. doesn't matter what it is. It could be Kool-Aid. I don't know. I'm mean, not Kool-Aid. That sounds creepy. But, um, but whatever it is, it's a reminder of redemption and freedom, right? The bread of life. My hope is that this doesn't bring shame because in no place does Jesus bring shame in the midst of it. He calls out, right? He calls these people out and he's, these disciples out. He's like, you're going to deny me. And they're like, no, 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 no. He's like, no, it's just a fact. Like, I, I, I know what you're doing. And, and so there's no shame. It's not like Jesus is like, you're going to deny me, and therefore you are 
a failure in my eyes and there will never be success, right? He's like, you will deny me. He states it very factually. So there's no shame. He's not coming to like push them away. He's saying, you will deny me and probably all of you will deny me at some point. But here's what I'm doing. Take this and know that I love you in the midst of that and that you just got to learn from it. You just got to continue to progress and grow and learn and recognize, okay, that didn't work. Okay, Jesus invites me back. Let's continue to learn and develop in this process. Okay, so let's look at Peter a little bit more. Because the life of Peter, the arc that you see in his story, teaches us a lot about what it means to experience the love that Jesus demonstrates here. So we saw here, he's like, I'm all in, right? Fully in, fully committed, like, I'm not buying another jersey. I'm with you. I'm fully supportive. And yet, as he's hanging out and Jesus is arrested, what does he do? He lops off the ear of one of the centurions with a fishing knife. Which I heard a pastor say, he's like, there were swords around. He could have taken out a sword, a legit sword, and done something serious. But he takes out a tiny fishing knife and happens to lop off the guy's earlobe. Like, how pathetic is that? Like, he wasn't fully committed, but he was like, I just need to fight back, but I, I'm torn. There was, there was a tension there in him, right? Like, and so he makes his mistake, and Jesus is like, simmer down. Like, put the knife away. Like, that's not how we do, sing, do, do these things, right? Calls him out. He's like, simmer down. And then there's a moment where Jesus is arrested. And as Jesus is being spit on, as he's being led to the cross, there's people going, hey, aren't you with? Weren't you one of the disciples? Weren't you with him? And Peter's like, no, no, no. And they're like, no, I think you were. Like, I think you were one of the guys that was like hanging out with Jesus. And he's like, no, no, no. And then they're like, I'm pretty sure we've seen you. And then he's like, no, no. And all of a sudden you hear like a rooster crow three times, right? And you're like, oh, okay. So like he's fully denied him at this point and he's torn, but he's still like, no, like I was never with him. Like I just kind of hung out with him a little bit for lunch, you know, like it, not a full commitment, but but in his mind, he knew, like, there was, yeah, I am with them, but I don't know what to do with this because it's getting heavy. Like, my faith is being challenged now. Like, I might be arrested. I might be doing the same thing that Jesus is doing right now. Like, I might be killed. And then it goes on, and we begin to see that all of the phrases where, G, where Peter drops, so, I will not give up. I will be with you to the end. I'm, I'm fully committed. We start to see that that all switched to failure, right? There's no success in what he said. Like, he didn't follow through. But we see, if you begin to look at the other Gospels, and I guess what I mentioned last week, we have the beauty of reading other Gospels and reading the story of what Jesus does when he comes back. And he sits with Peter around a fire, and he sits with him and says, do you love me? And I'm overly simplifying it, but the conversation essentially says, do you love me? And Jesus sits with Peter after all the failure, after Peter's feeling defeated, like he's not successful, that he's not done the thing that he should have been doing, and Jesus sits with him and says, do you love me? Jesus could have bailed him and said, that's one of the guys that denied me, never hanging out with him again, push him away, hey, other disciples, make sure you shame him on the way out, don't ever talk to this guy. But no, he's like, come on over, let's sit down, calls off the fishing boat, sits down, and has a meal with him. Kind of the same meal that he had in the upper room with him, right? But now it's fish. And he sits there and has fish tacos with him, just begins to say, hey, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, you, 
You could tell that he's torn, that he's like, I failed you big time. Yes, I do love you. I fully love you. Like, I, I'm so committed. Like, I, I've learned my lesson. I've been through the failure, and man, I, I love you, and I want to be a part of what you're doing, right? And so we see Jesus bring redemption to a relationship that was failed. And I think we can learn a lot from that. Because I know that even this week, there's times where I probably turn my back on what I should have been doing versus um, what I did do, right? Like what I should be doing that God calls me to and, and like the prayer that Matt put up earlier that like the thing that I even left undone, the things that I know that I should have been doing and still just neglected or even unintentionally didn't step into, right? Um, there is redemption. There is an invitation back to freedom, even in the midst of failure. And that's the, the message that I hope we take away. If you don't hear anything else, that you hear like what Jesus is doing through the bread and the cup is to bring redemption, to bring freedom. And Peter now learned that through failure, right? He learned through failure. Like he didn't learn it through success. He didn't come through going, yeah, I'm with you to the end, fully supportive, got the hat, got the jersey, I'm going. But he failed. He turned his back, got to that point where his mind and his heart were in conflict, right? I think we've been there. And I think I can relate, and I hope you can relate, that it's a beautiful message and a beautiful reminder that what Jesus brings here, what we can learn from Peter's life, what we can learn from uh, the disciples that even scattered at that time, right? And they were just kind of confused and didn't know what's going on, that what Jesus does is he continually invites us back in and says, I love you. Let's continue to journey. Let's continue to learn together. Um, there is redemption in the midst of that failure. And I think that's the message that we need to hear. The bread of life, the cup of redemption, uh, is this constant reminder that we are redeemed, that we are brought back and continually invited to come back, continually invited to the table, to this meal. Um, of unconditional love. And so I want to ask you this question. I would just ask you just to reflect on this. The same question that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Because we can intellectually say, yeah, I love Jesus. I made that commitment back when I was in high school. Um, I love Jesus and I'm, I'm in. I'm fully all about it. But when things get challenging is when we're tested. When things get difficult in relationships, that's when we're tested and we begin to see where our faith really lies, where our relationship with Jesus really lies. Do we begin to default back to the world or do we default back to our first love that God is truly inviting us into this way of life that he says is life to the full, right? And the first part of that passage in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to steal and destroy and deceive you and make you believe that success is in another way, that it's in your money, right? Judas, what did he fall into? Like the success message that if he digs into the money bag, he'll do well. That if he steals, if he gives up Jesus for 30 shekels, he'll be successful. How'd that work out for him, right? Like that's such a minor amount of money to like, to give up like real freedom. And I was just like, oh, just reflecting on his life. Like, sorry, what we can learn from that, that he got so caught up just in a couple of dollars, right? Like it, it was so insignificant. And yet he cared, he cared more about that than he did Jesus. And man, like the world will deceive us. Like, like he says in John 10, 10, 10, it's like 
It's going to deceive you. It's going to pull you another direction. But he says, I come to bring life and life to the full. And this is what I want you to see. And that's what we were reminded in communion. And so I want to close with just what we do and how we approach this. Because I think that's sometimes the um, kind of the, the moment that, that helps us begin to solidify where our commitment lies. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 11, it, it talks about that, and it talks a little bit about in the message in a beautiful way. And it says, anyone who eats the bread and drinks the cup um, of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance, because we do this in remembrance of Jesus, um, you want to be a part of? Examine your motives, test your heart, and come to this meal in holy awe. So I, I know that's an intense thing, but I think when we talk about Jesus, and when we talk about Peter and the interaction that he had, I think this kind of gets at like that, where is my heart really at? Like, am I really invested? Like, am I fully committed? Am I all the way? And what I see here is that like, we have to test our motives. We have to come at it with a reflection, not just a nonchalant, yeah, I'll just take the bread and take the cup and it doesn't matter. But we, we come at it with reverence. We come at it with respect and we come at it examining our lives and saying, oh, do I really love Jesus? Like, do I really prioritize what he wants in my life or do I prioritize money, success, some kind of other worldly thing? And so as we take it, I would just invite you, take a moment to reflect. I'm going to invite Matt to come up and play as we close. And we're just going to take communion because when we talk about this passage, it beautifully captures what Jesus is doing on a moment-by-moment -moment basis in our lives, all throughout the week. Not just here on Sunday when we take this, but he's saying, be reminded that I'm with you, that I'm setting you free that even in the midst of your failures, you can take the bread, you can dip it in the cup, and be reminded, even in the midst of my failures, Jesus loves me, and he's continually drawing me back. And the remembrance part of it, the like examine your motives part of it, is hopefully we're drawing closer and closer, right? That Peter drew closer and closer to Jesus. The disciples drew closer and closer to Jesus as a result of their faith. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Peter died on a cross upside down. He died on a cross upside down because he got to this point where he was like, I am so committed to this. Like, I want people to see like the love of God. And people didn't want to hear that. People didn't want to be a part of that. But he was so committed at this point because he understood that what Jesus was doing is inviting back in despite his failures. That what Jesus was doing is far bigger than anything this world can offer. And he's transforming his life and beginning to really bring redemption and so i'm gonna pray and then as you feel led like don't just all rush up here but take your time and as you feel led just come up and grab one of the crackers or gluten-free if that's something you gotta avoid and just dip in the cup and you can take it back to your seat or you can take it there um, and just take a moment to reflect on what god is doing in the midst of whatever failures you've had in your life for this week um, he's inviting you back to redemption. He's also inviting us into the freedom that we can begin to live out this week and into other people's lives. And so let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this invitation and this reminder that we take. Um, the bread reminds us that you are the bread of life, that you bring new life um, despite whatever we've done, and that you, by the 
your blood have set us free, that you've conquered sin, that you bring new life through that, that you redeem us, you brought us back in a relationship. And so we take this reminding ourselves of that love, that you love us deeply, you care for us more than we can even imagine. Um, and so may we be mindful of that as we take this in your name. Amen.